Well, I'm done. You know, we thought the choir with the kids were cute, and then, and then we get the King of the Kids Jr., the preschoolers, and then they show the babies with the halos, and you're just like, I'm done, right? Hey, Merry Christmas. Would you turn to a neighbor and wish your neighbor a Merry Christmas? The first Noel, the angels did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay, in fields where they lay, keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night that was so deep. Noel, 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 born is the king of Israel. And that's what the choir reminded us of with the last song. You know, since the first Noel, our culture has been drifting from the meaning and the focus of Christmas. Christmas, after all, uh, as the early church saw it, is the worship of Christ. That's what Christ must, mass, means. But since that first Noel, uh, we've been commercializing Christmas so that it doesn't really look like anything that the early church uh, thought it should be. In fact, the number one Christmas song in 2019, anyone know? It is All I Want for Christmas by the shaper of culture in this decade, Mariah Carey. And I'm going to try to do this. And if, can anyone give me a beat? Is there anyone? We, we need TJ here. I don't want a lot for Christmas. There is just one thing I need. And I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I don't need to hang my stocking there upon the fireplace. Santa Claus won't make me happy with a toy on Christmas Day. I just want you for my own, more than you could ever know. Make my wish come true, baby. <laughs> All I want for Christmas is you. We're going to have to edit that out of the video. Uh, you know, the culture regularly edits out Christ from Christmas. And we know, though, that it's not about the Christmas tree or Santa or Rudolph with the reindeers or presents or the decorations. As Christians or as the church, we know that uh, the nativity scene with Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus with the sheep and, and the shepherds and the magi, that they're essential to the Christmas story. So we make sure to include all of them along with Santa and the reindeers. But to be honest, if you, would to, if you were to ask some of the uh, younger kids in your home or around, if they understand the difference between the sheep and the, the camels and the reindeers in the Christmas story, I don't know if some of our children could uh, tell you what is fat and what is made up. Because we have diluted the Christmas story to such an extent that really it's no longer about Christ. Some um, 
time ago when uh, there, uh, when the angel came, there was a birth announcement in Matthew chapter 1, verses 21, 20 and 21. The angel appeared to a young man named Joseph and gives this birth announcement, Joseph, son of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Christmas is supposed to be the worship of Christ, and so that we can focus, so that we can be anchored to that particular meaning, I want us to remember three words. Cradle, uh, the cross, and the crown. And this is not something that I've come up with. It was something uh, developed by uh, a preacher by the name of Billy Graham some decades ago, and so I'm going to give him all the credit. The cradle, the cross, and the crown. The first one word that I want us to look at is the cradle. After all, it is uh, the announcement of a baby that the angel gave to Joseph. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round young virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. Why is it that we're supposed to be silent on Christmas? Well, because the baby is asleep. Why is it that we are to have joy to the world? Well, because there was a birth and we ought to celebrate. Why is it that we give gifts and there's peace and we focus on the family on Christmas? Well, because that's what we do when a new birth happens. The world, along with the church, focuses on the birth of a baby on Christmas. And, and after all, uh, we can find in common that when babies are involved, we just go, ah, don't we? The problem, I believe, is this, that when we focus on the baby Jesus of Christmas, that we can somehow misinterpret the meaning of Christmas. Let me explain to you what I mean. Come, let us adore him. Come, let us adore him. The word adore uh, originally in Latin used to mean worship. And in Old English, that's what it used to mean, worship. But in our modern English, adore no longer means worship. Because you think about it, when was it that you used the word uh, adorable? You, your friend has a new outfit, and you look at the new outfit, well, that's adorable. They get a new puppy, a Labrador, and you say, that, that puppy is adorable. And for those of you who are men, um, when you watch, well, women too, when you watch The Mandalorian, well, baby Yoda is adorable, right? But we don't uh, watch football and say of Lamar Jackson, or when we watch basketball, LeBron James, well, they're adorable, Right? We say mad respect, right? That's what we do, <laughs> isn't it? Because let me tell you, we assign adorable to something that is cute, helpless and powerless, something that we can mm, hold in our arms. We do not assign the word adorable to someone who's more powerful, someone whom we respect. Do you understand what I'm saying? Come let us adore him, come let us adore him, silent night sleep in heavenly peace. The misinterpretation of Christmas is that 
we gather together and we believe that we are adoring a baby, a helpless baby. And that's the extent of it. And of course, the world can rejoice with Christians because we're, we all love children. But Christmas is not simply about a baby who's incredibly cute that was born some 2,000 years ago. Christmas is a story of a transcendent God stepping into humanity. During World War II, a mother would take her son into a room where there was a, a large a portrait of the father who was away on, in war. And back then, of course, it's not like today where you can video call. And the mom would take the son into the room and, and say, that, this is your dad, this is your dad, he's in war. And hopefully he'll come back. And one day, the son looked at that large portrait of his father and said, Mom, I wish he could just step out of the frame and into our room. Christmas is a time not when we're celebrating simply the birth of a baby. It is, what, it is when Jesus, God, stepped out from heaven into our world as flesh, as a human being. For centuries, human beings have looked into the heaven and wondered what God was like, if we can touch him, if we can behold him. And some 2,000 years ago, he stepped out into humanity, touched us, and, and, and we were allowed to behold him. And so when God came into the cradle at Christmas, we realized that it is not simply the birth of a baby, but it is the omnipotent, the all-powerful, the omniscient, the all-knowing, the eternal, uh, the timeless God who stepped into humanity. And so uh, when we sing these songs even today, I don't want us to th uh, sing as if we're simply adorable baby, but adore as the song was meant to be sung as we bow our knees in worship. Come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knees. Christ the Lord, the newborn king. So the first word that I want us to remember and associate with this Christmas season is that of the cradle. The second word is that of the cross. The cross. And if you're, if you're a kingdom kid or a KKJ, uh, if you might want to look in your bulletin and there's a little fill-in thing for you. When the angels spoke to Joseph, he not only prophesied that there will come a baby, she will bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus, but he continued and said, for, because, the reason you should call him Jesus, for he, Jesus, will save his people from their sins. Unlike the typical birth, even of a beautiful, healthy baby boy, what was unique and different about this particular birth is that before he was even born, there was a purpose to his life. And I hate to say it so crudely, but Jesus was born to die. Mark 10.45, Jesus said of himself not, that he came not uh, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In John chapter 18, verse 
37, speaking of his death to come for this cause, I, I was born. Paul speaks of Jesus. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The scripture teaches this about all of us, humanity, that we have all been infected, that we have all contracted uh, from our parents, our mothers and fathers, this one condition. Each one of us, none of us have escaped it. Not even the, the sweetest old grandmother to the innocent of babies. All of us have been infected by a condition called sin. It leaves us with the propensity to hurt others through selfishness, to hurt ourselves through carelessness, and to offend God through arrogance. As our kingdom kids are regularly reminded, and I, I messed this up, so kids, if you can remind me, everything we think, everything we say, and everything we do that makes, us, that makes God sad. That's the definition of sin. It's a beautiful definition. I think our children understand um, Hamar theology or this, the theology of sin better than most of the adults here. Let me explain to you why I believe that sin is real. Uh, let me give you three evidences. The, the first evidence that I, I believe and, uh, and reminds us that sin is real and all of us have been affected is this, that every society that human beings have ever known, every society, every culture, had to have laws, law enforcers, military, and some sort of a punishment system, whether it be jail or execution or so. And the reason why every society needed to have that, whether they were uh, theistic cultures or atheistic cultures, is because uh, every society understood sin, that people will hurt each other. Number two, the second reason why I believe there is sin is this, and experientially, I was listening to some uh, historical linguists, people who studied language, and they made this point that if we were to go thousands of years ago and met someone who had language, because language continues to change, and the question posed was, is there a word that uh, people from thousands of years ago uh, can understand today? Is there a word that we share in common with people who spoke thousands of years ago, and the one word, they said that the, the same word that was used back then may be used now is that of mommy, or mama, or ma, some sort of variation to that. And it kind of shows that from birth, every culture kind of uh, shows that we are born with a need for a parent and we long for a parent. So the first thing that comes out of a baby's mouth that's uh, something that we can understand intelligible is that of, mommy, I, I need you. And experientially, if I ask the moms today, what is the second word that your babies learned after mommy or mama is that of, no, <laughs> right? And you don't have to teach your babies no. They just know. They just learn somewhere along the line. And if we can understand anthropo uh, anthropo um, anthropology, we would understand that human beings were born with an innate desire to connect with a parent figure and also an innate desire to rebel against that parent figure. 
I'm convinced that sin is real, and, and I believe that you and I do too. And if you are here today, and here's my third evidence why sin is real. Whether you've been in church all of your life, or this is the first time you're coming to church, and you're here just because, you know, your grandkids are performing or something of that nature, let me ask you this question. As you peer honestly into yourself, do you ever find yourself, and your morality could be different from that of Christianity, but do you ever find yourself selfishly hurting other people? And if you're not sure, ask your spouse or children. Do you ever see yourself carelessly harming yourself, breaking the very moral code that you have understood this to be right and this is wrong? And, or have you found yourself arrogantly shaking your fist at the gods or God. And if we were honest with ourselves, we would say yes. And we don't even have to agree on what our moral standards are. We are children of sin. And so when the angel t told Joseph, Mary will bear a son and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from sin. You know, people didn't sin and, and they don't sin because they lack resource or information. And oftentimes our modern culture, whether it be uh, education or politics, sometimes they try to say that the reason people hurt other people is because they don't know or they don't have. If you think about it, that means that those nations and those societies that have enough, whether it be resources or education, that they ought to be free from harming each other. But experientially, we know that that's not the case. We don't sin because we don't have enough or we don't know enough. We sin because there's something broken inside of us. Our hearts are broken. The good news is that Jesus came in a cradle to climb upon that cross to save us from our sins. He came so that he can save us from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. So that he can die the death that you and I should die. To pay the penalty that you and I should pay so that we would be forgiven and this is the good news, and this is the essence of Christmas. And so when we sing, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining, it is the night of our dear Savior's birth, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The reason why uh, we need to worship Christ on Christmas is because Jesus came not only as a baby to be worshipped God and man, but he climbed upon that cross to save us from the power and penalty of our sins. And he lived a full life for that. A blogger, a blogger Elise Fitzpatrick wrote, what on earth 
is a son of God doing shivering there, covered in amniotic fluid and wrapped in coarse rags, lying in a feeding trough. Why is he submitting himself to flawed parents? Why is he being baptized in a muddy river and starving in the wilderness while he defeats Satan's wicked attack? Why is he having dinner with the Pharisee while an immoral woman kisses his feet? Why is he shamed and humiliated, stripped and beaten, nailed to a cross and deserted by his father? Why? So that right now and all during the season, you can know that you are not now nor ever will be alone. The cradle, the cross, and let me give you a third word, and it is that of the crown. The crown. The song goes like this, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Peace on earth, we sing that to, uh, during, during the season, we sing it to each other, right? Peace on earth. But let me ask you a question, and this is somewhat rhetorical, but do we have peace on earth? Jesus came some 2,000 years ago. We've had some 2,000 Christmases to some 2,000 Good Fridays, some, good, some 2,000 Easter Sundays, but do we have peace on earth? The Bible has been translated to nearly every language in the world. The name of Christ is known now more than ever before, but do we have peace on earth? If we turn on the news, if we read the internet, you and I know that there's no peace on earth. There's still war and, and crime, atrocities. People are still contracting uh, uh, life-threatening diseases. Uh, there are people lying in hospital beds, hospice care for years at a time. People suffer uh, tragedies all the time. And so the, the rhetorical question or the question is, did Jesus perhaps fail? Did he come to bring peace on earth, but was it lacking in some way? Or was it limited? If you were able to uh, visit the UN building in New York, on one of the walls is written, inscribed, chiseled actually, into one of the foundational stones, these words, and it's from the Bible. From Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. And perhaps those who built the building, the United Nations, had hoped that if the nations had simply come together and able to talk and, and sit in meetings, that we can eliminate wars. But we know that's not necessarily the case because sin still exists. But when we understand Isaiah chapter 2, we understand that the prophet Isaiah was not saying that peace on earth uh, shall happen immediately, but Jesus, the one who came in the cradle, the one who climbed upon the cross, will come back, not with a crown of thorns, but an eternal crown, that Jesus will come back, that when he comes back, he will usher in ultimate peace, that when he comes back, he will come back as a king, that he will gain victory over Satan. He will recreate and redeem the world from sickness and sin. Tears will be wiped away. Disease will be uh, gone. And death will be eliminated. 
a nation will no longer lift up their sword against other nations. Jesus will come again. What is the meaning of Christmas? It's Christ mass, it's Christ worship. And sometimes we get carried away during the season thinking that it is a story about a cute baby, but no, it's not just that. It is God who came in the form of a man, a baby. Um, it is not simply the cross, but it is the cross that signifies and communicates to us that our biggest problem, that of sin and death, have been, have been solved by Jesus who climbed upon that cross. And though we still see pain and wars and disease, that Jesus is not done yet, that he has promised that he will come back again and make all things right. And that's the crown. And so during this Christmas season, I don't want you or me to get caught up in the peripheral and the ornaments and the, the tinsels of Christmas, but to fall on our knees and worship God incarnate who gave himself on the cross and who will come again for you and me. And let's bow our heads. And if you are here today as a guest, if you do not know Jesus in this way, if you do not know what it means to worship him in that way, I would invite you that on this Christmas, you would come to the Christ of Christmas and say, Lord, I need that which was described today. I need you, God, who came um, as man to understand, to empathize, but to also uh, become a perfect sacrifice, to forgive me for my sin, to pay the penalty that I should have paid, trusting that, that you rose again and you will come back again. And I, I receive that, I accept that. And Lord, on this particular season, as a church, as a congregation, as a family, men and women and children in this room, we give you worship. In Jesus' name we pray.